Folks, before we jump into today's highlights, I just have to ask you, do you want to put 50 years of baseball history in your pocket? I know what you're thinking. It's not going to fit, but it really will because it's all in audio format. These are lost pieces of baseball history told to you from baseball cathedrals. They're, they're told to you by icons of the game from Red Barber, Ernie Howell to Harry Carey. I get goosebumps personally listening to these games and even thinking about the interviews and what these players are going to share with me. I know what you're thinking. Is this AI? Are there bots? Is there some magic potion here that are making these things appear? And I'm telling you, they're not. These games are real. They were done by real people at that specific moment in time. All the iconic moments, the interviews, none of it's reproduced, none of it's AI. It's all real, but done again by real people. If you want to check them out, uh, there's a free intro offer. Jump on over to VintageBaseballReflections.com. And there's over 2,500 audio clips and games for you to put in your pocket, take on walks with you, hang around the fireplace and listen, put them on the porch, invite some friends over. However you want to listen, you're going to be able to listen in these amazing moments in baseball history. Use this coupon this day for a special gift at the checkout. Let's see, you've had four no-hitters, a perfect game, you've struck out 18, you have a World Series record of 15 in one game. Where does this one fit in as far as thrills are concerned? I don't know, Vinny, uh, this has got to be as high as any of them. This whole year is a thrill. Uh... Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to Fenway Park. This is Mark Fidrich. Now, he's trying to get the ball back. You'll see him mumble a couple of words to the ball. The first man ever. The Pitts five career I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we invite you to rise. Welcome to the Daily Rewind, brought to you by ThisDayInBaseball.com. I'm Tom Hannon, and I'm your host. We bring you the voices of the past and all the golden nuggets you just can't get from looking at stats. And today, I'm beyond excited to bring you Hall of Famers Don Drysdale and Sandy Koufax. And you're going to listen to Drysdale talk about Koufax and his incredible career. And then Drysdale is going to describe the holdout that they had together. Vin Scully interviews Koufax after the 1965 World Series where he won the World Series MVP. Now, what inspired me to do this podcast were the events that happened on February 28, 1966. Refusing to report to spring training camp... Dodger pitchers Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale began a joint holdout, asking for a $1 million three-year contract to be divided equally between them. The deal, equivalent to an annual salary of $167,000 for each hurler, will make them the highest paid players in baseball, easily surpassing Willie Mays' $125,000 yearly. Now, despite a lot of back and forth, and a lot of gamesmanship. The deal itself didn't actually happen. But on March 30th, 
Drysdale and Koufax will end their holdouts, each signing a one-year contract worth under $150,000. Koufax, however, will become the highest paid player in the game. And it was a real hurdle at this particular time because they became the first pitchers to make over $100,000 a year. And they did this without a collective bargaining agreement. So you'd have to understand how hard this was. Now, of course, they realized the leverage that they had over the Dodgers at that time because it was one of the best pitching combinations in the history of the game. And they did have that type of leverage because without Without Drysdale Koufax, the Dodgers would have not had a very successful uh, 1966 season. Um, and, of course, they did make it to the World Series in 66. Now, their, uh, now their holdout would effectively change, change the scope of baseball in the, in the sense of the collecting bargaining agreements because it inspired the owners to create a collective bargaining agreement because they didn't want this to happen to them again. And in fact, um, as I heard on a podcast uh, earlier this week, uh, This Week in Baseball History, uh, which is a great podcast and I highly recommend it, they talked in depth about uh, Koufax and Drysdale and how the owners really boxed themselves into the corner uh, by putting by putting that uh, players couldn't collude and therefore owners couldn't collude because the owners are the only one who ever really collude. Uh, it's not happened in, in baseball history with players other than in this instance. So it was, it's an interesting listen, and I highly recommend it. I am not going to get into detail on the contract and what happened. I'm going to let Uh, Don Drysdale tell you all about it and I'm going to let him tell you about the uh, marvelous career of Sandy Koufax and I'll be back to you when that's over. A son who threw an overpowering fastball and dynamic curve. This Dodger ace recorded four no-hitters and once shattered the single season strikeout record. His name? Sandy Koufax. Sandy Koufax had one of the most unusual careers of any legendary athlete. He pitched in the major leagues for only 12 years, and in half of those years, he was considered mediocre at best. But in his final six years, from 1961 to 1966, Koufax was as close to being invincible as any pitcher who ever played the game. He led the National League in earned run average five straight years. He led his team, the Los Angeles Dodgers, to two World Series titles. And one year, 1963, he was named the league's most valuable player. But what most people remember about Sandy Koufax was his ability to simply overpower hitters. Sandy was a power pitcher. There's no question power with a capital P. Had a great fastball, great curveball. At the end, he kind of played around a little bit with a little fork ball and that. But, I mean, that was he would play around with that when he had a little bit of a lead. When he got into trouble, he went back to fastball, curveball. I think the thing that made him, uh, that made him so, uh, uh, so tough to hit is because he threw them both so hard. And there was the, the extreme between the two uh, was so great. I mean, uh, a fastball, he'd ride a fastball up in here, and he'd start a curveball with a great velocity, and then it would go straight down. Well, if you're a hitter, you can't adjust that way. You could not, off of, off of certain pitchers, a hitter can say, I'll look for that fastball, but I know I can still hit the curve. Not with Koufax. Not with a power pitcher. A uh, power pitcher, you can't work that way. So, uh, but every time he went out there, I mean, uh, uh, you, you would, it would never surprise you to see him pitch a no-hitter.
because uh, he was just that, uh, he was just that uh, dynamic. Sandy set a major league record by pitching four no-hitters, breaking the record of three set by Bob Feather. Koufax pitched his first no-hitter in 1962, and then pitched one in each of the next three years. His fourth no-hitter was especially remarkable in that it was also a perfect game. 27 up, 27 down. For all his heroics, Sandy was a shy, introspective man who disliked attention from the media. Today, he still avoids making public appearances. Sandy is, is, uh, likes to be alone. He doesn't like uh, a lot of the, uh, the public light. He'll do things that he has to do around his peers and around his own people. Sandy is one of the funniest guys you've ever been around. Well, the, the public doesn't know that. The public only uh, knows the mystique that the writers have been able to print because that's all the writers know about Sandy Koufax. Sandy Koufax is, uh, is, a, is, a, is a wonderful person. Uh, he just likes to be alone. And I've said, hey, people have asked me a thousand times, uh, what, why didn't he, why? I said, wait a minute. I said, everybody has their own way of living their life. I mean, we're, uh, we're here uh, on borrowed time. We're, it's short time, and uh, that's the way that he wants to live, and, uh, and that's the way it's going to be, and he's not going to change. Born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, Sandy's first love was basketball, not baseball. He starred on his high school's basketball team and received an athletic scholarship to the University of Cincinnati. In his freshman year at Cincinnati, Sandy tried out for the baseball team in the spring and made the team as a pitcher. Although his skills were unpolished, his blazing fastball gained the attention of several baseball scouts. The Dodgers offered Sandy a $14,000 signing bonus, and suddenly, this 19-year-old prodigy was playing for his home team, the Brooklyn Dodgers. Because of his large signing bonus, Sandy was required to play for the Major League Club for two years. Without the benefit of honing his skills in the minor leagues, Sandy's development was hampered. During his first six years with the Dodgers, from 1955 to 1960, Sandy saw spot duty and accumulated an unimpressive record of 36 wins and 40 losses. He was a hard-throwing pitcher who suffered control problems. Pitching is so precise. Uh, to me, it's as precise as a golf swing because everything has to be in synchronization uh, to have consistency. And I can't think of... Uh, many other things there there's there's fine points of hitting a little hitting zone like this but when you get into pitching you think of the whole body motion the release point and things like that and that's what uh, takes everybody uh, some are have a chance to they they pick it up earlier and others it takes a little bit longer and it took sandy a little bit longer but once he got that uh, the complete body control together i mean it uh, he was awesome the turning point in Sandy's career came in the spring of 1961, when his catcher, Norm Sherry, suggested that he not throw so hard. Koufax soon discovered that by easing his pitching motion, not only did his accuracy improve, his velocity stayed the same. In the regular season that year, Sandy won 18 games and struck out 269 batters, breaking the National League record previously held by the legendary Christy Mathewson. Once considered a bust, Sandy was now on the verge of reaching his full potential.
in his prime, Sandy Koufax had all the ingredients of a dominant pitcher. He threw a blazing fastball. He had a hard-breaking curve, and he threw both pitches with great accuracy. Mentally, he was just as tough. <laughs> a situation happened, and Lou Brock would be the one to tell you this story. And uh, Jimmy Lefevre, the manager now of the Chicago Cubs, was just a baby, came up with us his first year. And, and uh, Brock walked. Sandy's pitching. Brock walked. He stole second. He stole third and scored on a fly ball. Now, they get a run without a hit. And Sandy is really hot. And because uh, Brock kind of danced around a little bit, and it was in Lou's younger days. And uh, Frenchie was sitting next to me in the dugout, and I had my arm up like this and around him. And Frenchie said, uh, boy, he said, B, he says, Brock's lucky Sandy's pitching. He said, because doing all that dance around, stealing those bases, uh, uh, he said, you know, he'd, he'd, he, ought to, he ought to go down. I said, well, I said, I don't know how lucky he is, Frenchie. We'll see. And he came back up again. And Sandy hit him right in the middle of the back, right between the shoulder blades. He went down. He got up, as every hitter will. He got up, and he started to go to first base. He took one step, fell right flat on his face, and they carried him off on a stretcher. And he was out for a month. So beat Koufax, don't embarrass him while you're beating him because you're going to pay the price. <laughs> Didn't do it very often, but that just happened that particular time. And I always, and I talked to Lou Brock about it. We'll see each other every now and then. And Lou says, I always oh, says, I should have never done that. Steal, fine, but don't be jumping around like that. <laughs> In 1963, Sandy Koufax distinguished himself as one of the best pitchers in the league when he won 25 games and lost only five. He led the league with a 1.88 earned run average and set a National League record with 306 strikeouts. Sandy also led the Dodgers into the World Series where they faced the powerful New York Yankees. In the opening game, Koufax was pitted against the Yankees ace, Whitey Ford. Sandy served immediate notice that he was on top of his game by striking out the first five batters he faced. Sandy would set a new World Series record by striking out 15 batters as Los Angeles defeated New York 5-2 in Game 1. The first game of the uh, uh, 63 World Series with the Yankees, our scouting report said that... Uh, can't pitch Richardson high. Bobby Richardson, the second baseman with the Yankees, and <laughs> and Sandy, you know, uh, he was a high ball hitter, so keep the ball down on him. Don't pitch him high. Well, by the time the day was over, I think Richardson struck out four times and just wailing away at high fastballs up here, <laughs> and he he was just overmatched. 
the Dodgers won the first three games. And in game four, Sandy Koufax and Whitey Ford battled each other again. Sandy allowed just one run on six hits, struck out eight batters, and went the distance as the Dodgers defeated New York 2-1. to one. In sweeping the Yankees, Sandy Koufax demonstrated some of the finest pitching ever seen in World Series play. Not to be confused with a crafty or finesse pitcher, Sandy used brute power to overwhelm his opponents. When I think of crafty, I think of uh, Whitey Ford. Whitey was a crafty pitcher. Now there's two guys in the Hall of Fame. Whitey was crafty. I mean, he would sink the ball and he would bring it in here, throw the good breaking pitch in here uh, on your knees, change a little bit. Then he'd turn around and back you off and here and here and do things like that. Sandy wasn't like that. Sandy just said, you know, he was like a bull in a china closet. Here I am, hit it, boom, and here he came. That year, 1963, Sandy earned his first Cy Young Award and was named the National League's most valuable player. In 1965, Sandy Koufax lived up to his reputation as the man with the golden arm. He struck out 382 batters, shattering the major league record. He led the league with 26 wins and had the league's lowest earned run average. That year, Sandy also pitched a perfect game against the Cubs for his fourth no-hitter, another major league record. Sandy earned his second Cy Young Award and capped off his brilliant year by leading the Dodgers into the World Series against the Minnesota Twins. With the series tied at two all, Sandy recorded 10 strikeouts and led Los Angeles to a 7-0 victory. In the seventh game, manager Walter Alston let Sandy start despite only two days rest. Sandy rewarded his manager by pitching a three-hit shutout for a 2-0 victory and another World Series title. In the post-game celebration, there was no doubt who the series hero was. But here's the fella who gave the Dodgers the championship, Sandy in Los Angeles, when you pitched your seven to nothing shutout. You were quoted as saying after the game, I feel a hundred years old. So today, how do you feel? 101. 101. <laughs> I feel great, Betty. I know I don't have to go out there anymore for about four months. <laughs> Sandy, it appeared from upstairs that your fastball was really your only pitch for quite some time. Yes, it was. I don't know what it was today. I didn't have the curveball at all, and I wasn't getting it over. And I just stayed with the fastball and tried to get it in pretty good spots. And when I got the lead, I tried to keep him from pulling the ball if I could. Most veteran newspaper men around the ballpark were watching to see when you and Drysdale arrived, which of the two had already shaved because it's uh -huh. traditional that the pitcher with the beard is going to pitch. But you and Drysdale both came in unshaven. When did you find out you were going to pitch today? Well, I found out when we got here. That's why neither of us were shaved. <laughs> well, you didn't know until you no, got here? No, Now, tell me when you found out. Was it in front of the entire club? Yeah. Did the manager go over a once? Yeah, Walt had a meeting, and... Uh... He said that he thought he'd like to start the left-hander, and uh, he had a reason for it. He said, if I have to make a switch, I'd rather go left-right-left, left, talking about Paranowski as his last man, if he had to make two moves, than start the right-hander and go left-left. You, uh, you don't change their lineup any when you do that. Let's see. You've had four no-hitters, a perfect game. You have struck out 18. You have a World Series record of 15 in one game. Where does this one fit in as far as thrills are concerned? I don't know if any, uh, this has got to be as high as any of them. This whole year is a thrill. Uh, 
we were ball clubs. Everybody said they was going to finish fifth, and we lost Tommy Davis. They thought we were going to finish eighth. Sandy, thank you so very much. And now go on back and sit down and relax a little while. Thank you, buddy. Certainly, one of the greatest pitching duos in baseball history belonged to the Los Angeles Dodgers during the 1960s. From the left side, there was Sandy Koufax, a man capable of throwing a no-hitter on any given night. And from the right side, there was Don Drysdale, the tall sidewinder who threw a wicked fastball and slider. Just prior to the 1966 season, Sandy and Don made headline news when they staged a holdout together. They were demanding a bigger contract from the Dodgers' general manager, Buzzy Bavese. Don Drysdale recalls how it all began. Well, we basically had dinner one night, and uh, my wife at the time, uh, she was uh, listening to us talk, and Sandy uh, mentioned, uh, you know, I could see something was bothering him. I said, uh, I said, hey, Koo, what's the matter? Yeah, I said, you try and be a nice guy and, and you try and get things out of the way. And, you know, now they want to now they want to be smart about it. I said, what happened? And uh, he said, well, I said, I go in and try and think I'm going to get my contract signed. He said, you know, how can we give you this much when uh, when Don only wants this much? Well, that was a year after the 65 season. We won 52 games between us. Uh, we beat Minnesota in the World Series, we're the world champions, and now we're going to 66. And I said, uh, well, when did you go in and talk to him? He said, I went in today. I said, well, what other day did you go in? He said, I haven't. I said, you haven't? I said, what do you mean you haven't? He said, I haven't talked to him. He, I said, really? He said, I'm honest. So. I said, well, that's interesting because I said, I went in two days ago and they told me the same story. They said, how can we pay you this when Sandy only wants this? And so right away at that time, my wife said, well, you know, that's easy to do. Why don't you go in together? So I looked at them and, you know, in those days, no one ever went in together. You never talked salary. Nobody knew salaries or anything like that. And you did everything on your own. So he said, well, that's not bad. Let's do it. So we went in uh, later on, we went in a few days later, and we saw Buzzy Bavese, and here we come prancing into his office together. Well, his face, I mean, he went, he, the look on his face, he, he couldn't believe it. When Koufax and Drysdale held out together, they left the general manager little choice. After several weeks of negotiations, Bavese came to terms with this dynamic duo making Koufax and Drysdale the first pitchers ever to break the $100,000 barrier. In 1966, Sandy Koufax had another brilliant season. He led the league with 27 wins, 317 strikeouts, and had an earned run average of 1.73, which led the league for the fifth straight year. Sandy earned his third Cy Young Award and led the Dodgers to another World Series appearance. Hindered by some shaky fielding, the Dodgers lost to the Baltimore Orioles in four straight. While it had been known for several years that Sandy was pitching in pain due to an arthritic elbow, no one anticipated that this would be Sandy's last year, especially given his recent stellar performance. Well, we all pitch in pain. You know, that, that's something that you just, uh, that's part of the game. Uh, you know, your arm isn't made to pitch. And uh, doctors will tell you that. And he was taking all of his things for his arthritic elbow and things like that. And, you know, he, we're all taking things for whatever pains that, that we had. And 
Um, that's just part of it. And then after 1966, why, uh, uh, he just said that's it. On November 16, 1966, Sandy called a hasty press conference to announce that at 30 years old, he was retiring from baseball. Even his closest teammates were surprised. I was a little surprised. I was a little surprised, but I knew that he was very, he was, he carried a, a, a I don't want to say, he, he, it could be a grudge, maybe that's the right word. He carried a, a very, I thought, uh, an ill feeling inside of the holdout and of the year before when he had won and he wasn't really that happy with his salary. I, I think that there was something in there, but uh, uh, he said that's it and walked away. Sandy pitched only 12 years in the major leagues, and during the first six years, he struggled with his control. But once he mastered the art of pitching, he became what some people consider the greatest pitcher the game has ever seen. Five years after his retirement, Sandy Koufax was inducted into baseball's Hall of Fame. Long live Sandy Koufax, and long live his legend. Now, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Don Drysdale, Vin Scully, Sandy Koufax. It brought back so much history in the game. And the interview itself came from the uh, Internet Radio Archives. Now, we're always looking for old audio clips. And if you have any and you'd like to share them with us, you can reach out to us at tbinbb at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please help us by sharing the show and subscribing to us on whatever podcatcher you use. The way that you can help us most is by sharing the show. It's the number one way that podcasts grow. And if you can share the show on social media with your friends, tell a friend, it really helps us grow the show. And secondly, we ask you to please consider sponsoring a page on thisdayinbaseball.com. You can go to Sandy's page. You can go to Don Drysdale. Just go to thisdayinbaseball.com slash Sandy Koufax, thisdayinbaseball.com slash Don Drysdale, and consider sponsoring a page. And you can write your own personal message with the link on it. If you're not into these guys, we have players, events, and so much more. Uh, you, I'm sure that if you're a baseball fan, you're going to find some page on the, this day in baseball that is going to interest you. So again, try, try to consider please sponsoring a page on thisdayinbaseball.com. And lastly, again, thanks for joining us today. Now look for some shows as we creep into the March episodes from Leo DeRocha, Mel Ott, Joe DiMaggio, Jim Rice, and so much more. And until next time, my name's Tom Hannon, and I hope to see you at the ballpark. Peace. So I say D, I say D-O, D-O-D, D-O-D-G, D-O-D-G-E-R-S, team, 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 oh, I say O-M, O-M-A, O-M-A-L, O-M-A-L-L-E-Y, oh really, no O'Malley, Sandy Koufax, oh my Drysdale, Maury Wills, I love you so, and we defy, defy the J-I, J-I-N, J-I-N-T, J-I-N-T-S, Giants, Orlando Cepeda, is at bat with the bases jammed, Orlando 
disappeared with a wham, bam, he hit a grand slam in the very first inning, but it's only the beginning in the third, like a bird, we get to one and away, then fairly hits into a double play. Here comes Big Frank Howard, yes siree, boy what a swing, strike three. O-D-M-B, O-D-M-B-U, B-U-M, B-U-M-S, them bums, them bums, them dry bums, oh they may be bums, but they're my bums, top of the fifth. Say hey, Willie Mays hits a three-bagger down the right field line. But he's out trying to stretch it to a homer as Roseboro tags him on the bottom of the spine. With the crack you can hear all the way back up to San Francisco. Open your hospitals! <laughs> Inning six, Maury Wills draws a walk. In the coach's box, Leo DeRose, Leo DeRose, starts to wiggle and to twitch. A signal? No, an itch. Go, Maury, go, Maury, go, go, go. Maury goes, the catcher throws, right from the solar plexus. At the bag, he beats the tag, that mighty little weight. And umpire Conlon cries, you're out! Out? Out? Down in the dugout, Alston glowers. Up in the booth, Vince Scully frowns. Out in the stands, O'Malley grins. Attendance, 50,000. And what does O'Malley do? Ah! Bottom of the ninth. Four to nothing, last chance, push the button, oh, we're pleading, begging on our knees. Come on, you Flatbush refugees. Maury Wills at bat, hit it for me once, Stu Miller throws, Maury bunts. Cepeda runs to field the ball and Hiller covers first. Haller runs to back up Hiller, Hiller crashes into Miller, Miller falls, drops the ball, Conlon calls, safe. Yay, Maury! Gilliam, up. Miller, grunts. Miller, throws. Gilliam, bunts. Cepeda runs to field the bowl and Hiller covers first. Haller runs to back up Hiller. Hiller crashes into Miller. Miller falls, drops the ball. Conlon calls, safe. Yay, Conlon! Willie Davis gets a hit and Tommy does the same. Here comes Mr. Howard with the chance to win the game. Hit it once! Big Frank Bonds! Cepeda runs to field the ball. So does Hiller, so does Miller. Miller hollers, Hiller. Hiller hollers, Miller. Haller hollers, Hiller. Points to Miller with his fist. And that's the Miller, Hiller, Haller, hallelujah twist. The Davis score is four to four. Howard's still running the bases. From second to third, it's almost absurd. Amazement on everyone's faces. He's heading for home. He hasn't the chance. The poor nut is going to be dead. But the ball hits him right in the seat of his pants. And he scores. That's using your head. So. So. I. Say. D. I say D-O. D-O-D-G-E-R-S. The team that's all hard. 
Ohana no thumbs them my Los Angeles, your Los Angeles, our Los Angeles. You think we'll really win the pennant? Los Angeles Dodgers.